We have people who literally don't clean their butts telling us we're not civilized. And things like that are not supposed to happen in places like Ukraine, but they're definitely supposed to happen in places like Palestine and Iraq. You know, the cradle of civilization. Everybody has the capacity to understand occupation and active armed resistance. Nobody is asking the Ukraine people to be like, hey, why don't you just organize a protest instead of filling Molotov cocktails in the city square? They glorify armed resistance when they think it's in the Ukraine. Shit, they'll even glorify Palestinians resisting when they think it's in the Ukraine. We're also seeing a very clear understanding in the media and in the public discourse of BDS boycotting and sanctioning human rights abusers. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, baby, we back free Mikey B. <laughs> Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you went from being the occupation in Palestine to fighting the occupation in the Ukraine. Please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. We're also going strong on Patreon, so if you love the Palestine Pod and you want to support this project, join our Patreon where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes, an additional one to two podcasts per week, including the Patreon Pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, pop culture, get a little bit more deep into our personal lives. We also have our monthly Zoom happy hours for our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash palestinepod. Quick aside, I'm really going to miss Thailand because all of the toilets have bidets. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, you know what? This is, let's get right into it because this is <laughs> at the heart of the of, civilized, uncivilized debate. Exactly. <laughs> this is the heart of it. And, you know, the major thing that was being said on social media was we have people who literally don't clean their butts telling us we're not civilized tweet that's like we've got white people who don't use shatafas that's the word in arabic for the bidet yeah and the white people white people were like what is that word what's a shafata didn't even recognize the word yeah 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 well yeah it's it's out of me you know i'll never understand that it's like even the french people who i mean bidet is the the word is french right even they don't use it anymore it's not in French apartments anymore. It, you know, it's this thing that's kind of like considered like old school, but like, why? You know what I mean? You still need to. It's weird that it's considered old school because I associate yeah. medieval and old school with poor hygiene. Right. Like with never bathing. Yeah. But they're yeah, like actually that... good hygiene. So <laughs> early 1900s. And we had all of our friends tweeting that they were uncivilized and showing pictures of themselves accomplishing very like, you know, 
fancy yeah. tasks and receiving very high degrees and talking about how uncivilized they were. It's amazing how in the last week or so, we've seen that everybody, even mainstream media, has the capacity to understand occupation and active armed resistance. And yes. they glorify armed resistance when they mm. think it's in the Ukraine. Shit, they'll even glorify Palestinians resisting when they think it's in the Ukraine. But the second yeah. that you find out that it's actually Palestinians, indigenous Palestinians resisting on Palestinian land, well, yeah. now we have an issue. Now we're getting into territory where we need to, quote, be careful with our language. I don't know if you saw that Irish politician. I'll put in the video, but he went off. Treating the Arab population as a whole, the Palestinian population as a whole, as an inferior race. I mean, it doesn't get stronger than this. And yet you want to be careful about your language. You're happy to correctly use the most strong and robust language to describe the crimes against humanity of Vladimir Putin, but you will not use the same strength of language when it comes to describing the Isra Israel's treatment of the Palestinians when it is now being documented and detailed by two of the most uh, respected human rights organizations in the world and indeed has been alleged by dozens and dozens of non-governmental organizations uh, and to be honest anybody who looks honestly at the decades of brutal, inhumane persecution of the Palestinians, successive assaults uh, on Gaza, the annexation of their land and territory, the systematic application of apartheid rules, you don't want to even use the word apartheid. Never mind sanctions. Five days sanctions against Putin and his thugs, 70 years of oppression by the Palestinians, and it wouldn't be, what was the word you used? Uh, it wouldn't be helpful to impose sanctions. Uh, Amnesty International are calling for Israel to be referred to the International Criminal Court for Crimes Against Humanity. Will you support it? They are calling for targeted sanctions against Israeli officials who are perpetuating the system of apartheid. Just exactly the same types of sanctions you've just initiated against Vladimir Putin. Will you support it? Uh, and I think the answer is clearly you're not going to. And then we ask the question, why? Why? With such strength of feeling, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and Green TD stood up one after the other, saying it was intolerable, the tuggery and the warmongering and the brutality of Putin, you wouldn't stand for it, urgent action had to be taken, but we've got to be much more careful with the Palestinians. My boy was like, they're treating Palestinians as an inferior race, and you want people to be careful with your language, yet you're happy to describe Vladimir Putin as the end-all, be-all of human rights abuses. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you touched some, on some really essential points. Not only are we seeing references to calls for sending weapons to Ukraine, and, you know, this glorification of resistance and fighting the Russian invasion and occupation. But we're also seeing a very clear understanding in the media and in the public discourse of BDS. A massive. Of the notion, 
yes, of the notion of boycotting and sanctioning human rights abusers. And how quickly it can be done, how it's not at all a lofty goal that needs to be worked towards slowly, step by step, as we've been told for, you know, ever, as far as I remember doing this work. But it could happen literally overnight, and it should happen literally overnight, right? Because there are instances where the occupation has bombed Gaza just the same, likely worse. Well, we saw certainly side-by-side photos of bombings in Ukraine that were directed towards media agencies. And of course, you remember in May when they targeted the building that housed Al Jazeera and the Associated Press in Gaza. And it's the same thing, right? We're talking about major human rights abuses, major war crimes. But not only are, are, are they telling us in the context of the Palestinian struggle that, oh, BDS is this like the lofty goal and we shouldn't, you know, we should just wait and we should, you know, not really go so aggressively with it. It's not even that. They're straight up outlawing it. They're outlawing it in the United States. We've seen over 30 states pass these anti-BDS laws. They're constantly being struck down as unconstitutional. We have covered it before on the Palestine pod. But in this case, we're seeing in a matter of days, not months, not years, let alone decades, which is what Palestinians have been going through. In a matter of just days, we have seen major boycotts take place, sanctions take place. This, of course, is very controversial when it comes to holding Israel accountable vis-a-vis the Palestinian struggle. And we are repeatedly told as Palestinians, that nonviolent resistance like boycotts are wrong. Like we should not be engaging in them, that it's unfair to put pressure on Israel. It's unfair to single out Israel. It's, it's crazy to me that this discourse so quickly changes. You know, it's almost like they have, they have no shame. I mean, you saw that, that clip of Condoleezza Rice going on some talk show talking about oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a violation of international law to invade a sovereign nation. I'm so sorry, but did you forget about Iraq? How can she sit up there? She was literally one of the major cheerleaders and orchestrators of the Iraq war. I do not understand. I don't, I just don't understand how you, how you can go to sleep at night. It just doesn't make sense to me. The cognitive dissonance, the, 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 the hypocrisy, I mean, it's just, it's, it's in our lifetime. Like, I'm not even talking about somebody who made statements about some past event. I'm talking about somebody who literally was responsible for the, the murder of a million people in Iraq. The thing about doing genocide is you forget about it after 10 years, right? That's why Henry Kissinger walks around talking like he's a statesman instead yeah. of a mass murder or war criminal. But yeah. what I, one thing I have to say about the Ukraine and Russia is, boy, this white-on-white crime getting out of hand. Yeah. Putin would literally rather start a world war than go to therapy. Like, how about just talk to someone? Yeah. I mean, everybody can use therapy. But look, we're seeing this racism, obviously... Everywhere in the public discourse, there have been so many references to it in articles, social media. We've seen commentators go on TV and talk about how they're so shocked that this invasion is taking place in Ukraine because that's not supposed to happen there. 
you know, right. and what's the what's the message that's being sent that that places like Palestine, like Iraq, like Afghanistan, like Somalia, like Syria, those are places where violence is normal. It's like expected death and destruction is something which is implicit and sort of just embedded in the culture there. Whereas no, Ukraine, they're white people. It's a European city that that that, you know, that indicates that, you know, it's this sort of symbol of modernization, civilization, and things like that are not supposed to happen in places like Ukraine, but they're definitely supposed to happen in places like Palestine and Iraq and Afghanistan. It's a relatively European, civilized place, unlike Iraq, you know, the cradle of civilization. Literally. Like, do, like, hashtag Mesopotamia, look it up, like, read a history book. Also, it's not even historically accurate. Like, the Ukraine, Europe has engaged in full-out warfare a number of times, right? Of course. They were big participants in World War II not too long ago. They were also involved in World War I. Even before that, Lila June was talking about how Europe went through 2,000 years of open warfare. Like, yes. basically, yes. they're just saying, like, white people deserve better. Yeah. Yeah, but you're right. It's like there's this element of amnesia about their own violence, which is definitely historical, but also obviously very contemporary and and, and present, especially the U.S., right? I mean, I posted that Condoleezza Rice clip, and then I was like, here is a link to which lists out every single country that the U.S. has invaded in the last hundred years, you know? but we're blind we're blind to our own our own crimes and 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 so you just see how much of this is political right they're using now the language of international law in a way that i'm like wow it would be really great if israel was held up to the same standards that you are now invoking you know the us recently as a result of this conflict with Ukraine and Russia has decided to join the United Nations Human Rights Council which it left several years ago because it opposed the Human Rights Council's efforts to hold Israel accountable for its crimes and so now it rejoined because hey you know it, it has something to say about what's going on in Ukraine when you get back yeah. on Bumble after a breakup yeah something like that you're also hearing calls for holding Russia accountable at the International Criminal Court, the same court where the United States has sanctioned the prosecutor for investigating Israel's war crimes in Palestine. Literally, the U.S. is obstructing justice at the International Criminal Court when the victims are Palestinian. But no, is now making these, you know, very moral calls for we must investigate war crimes. Okay, we'll investigate all war crimes then. And don't stand in the way of them when the victims are Palestinian, when the victims are darker in complexion. It's... I think I, fi I, think I figured out a solution because there are some white-looking Palestinians. Let them go to the forefront. You know what I mean? Let the white yeah. Palestinians talk more and maybe we'll get some sympathy from the rest of the world. Yeah, right. Because right now, right now, spokesmen, little too brown, little too Arabic-y, you know? <laughs> but like, Michael, that's the thing that also for me is, is, is so shocking in a way, because it's like, how much of this just comes down to just color, colorism, right? How much of this is just colorism, right? It's not even like, 
it's not even anti-Arab racism. It's not even, uh, you know, is it Islamophobia? I don't know. Some of it is just like really basic. White is better than dark, you know? Yeah. Yes, it is that 100%. Yeah, we got a long way to go. We got a long way to go. Because I thought that we had this moral reckoning with the murder of George Floyd that was like global, right? Where white people were like, oh, shit, racism is real, you know? I guess we we didn't learn. Anything. A lot of them are like, I'm ready to die for the Ukraine now. And it's like, yeah. word? You can't even find the Ukraine if you didn't have it labeled I wouldn't even die for the United States, let alone the Ukraine. You know what I mean? I would not die for California. Like, I don't understand these people. A BBC journalist tweeted a handout, a picture of a handout describing where to throw a Molotov cocktail. And it's written in Ukrainian, the handout. And it said that this guide is for Ukrainian volunteers in Kiev showing weak spots in Russian armor. And Ali Abunyama, who's one of the best commentators on Palestine there is, I think, in the English-speaking world, tweeted, can you imagine a BBC correspondent publishing a guide for Palestinians on how to effectively attack Israeli armor and kill the soldiers inside? We are so far from that. And yet one is considered this absolutely heroic sort of, yes, you have to help them do what you can to help them out. And the other is considered evil, right? I mean, I just can't even imagine what that would look like. Well, when you're a civilized people. We've come full circle. When you're a civilized people. I guess I'm uncivilized. I, I, I too partook in the, the uncivilized trend. Was happy to. I'd rather yes. be uncivilized and on the right side of history. Than part of whatever they consider civilization for them. I don't think we should allow the people who have been responsible for more deaths than anybody ever to determine civility, right? Yeah, than anyone ever. Like, hey, take your hands off the nuclear coats before you start talking about civility, right? Seriously. Let's get native people drinking water before we start talking about civility. Casual reminder that Israel is the only nuclear power in the Middle East for anyone who cares. And that native people in Canada don't have drinking water. Neither do many black Americans, right? Flint still does not have drinking water. It's not the only place in the United States that does not have potable water. So we got a lot of work to do. Seems like they've got some civilizing to do themselves before they start talking about uncivilized. Yes, yes. If we can smell you through the interview, (laughs) you're not civilized. Okay, wait a second. I have to tell you about this story. Apparently, the Ukrainian embassy in Senegal started posting ads calling on local Senegalese people to go fight in Ukraine. They wanted to, but they couldn't get in the border. Okay, they're being stopped (laughs) at the border, folks. (laughs) Yeah. Senegal, as a result, summoned the Ukrainian ambassador over this illegal recruitment call. It's insane to me that they are calling on Senegalese people to go fight in Ukraine. You know all those white people that like go to fight in Syria? (laughs) Yeah, it's like the people people, who join ISIS and they're British. Yeah, literally. And those people have their nationalities revoked. Those people can't go back to the US or or to the UK. But but somehow it's okay to call for foreign 
volunteers. I mean, this is totally illegal. Yeah, you can't even fundraise for Palestinian resistance or you would go to jail. You don't even have to fundraise for resistance. You could go to jail like the Holy Five Foundation for just doing charity work. Michael, I couldn't even make a $200 transfer to Melek because I wrote Palestine Pod in the notes. Yeah. BNP blocked that transfer, even though I told them it's a podcast. Yeah. Meanwhile, you got, you know, grandmas making Molotov cocktails on TikTok and everybody's like, let's fucking go, grandma. We know what is right. It just, it matters to them what color people are. Yes, of course. Instructions, Molotov. Uh, just that yes. Google, just that Google search got you put in trouble. Yeah. Insane to me how quickly the public's consciousness can be mobilized in support of popular resistance when it's allowed by the media, right? Because yeah. I know people who have literally never once spoken about the plight of refugees who are now posting like infographics. And it's like, yeah. why now? You know what I mean? I, I certainly understand being sympathetic with the innocent people fleeing the Ukraine. You know, that's where my ancestry comes from. A hundred percent. I understand that. But the fact that you have never once spoken about the plight of refugees, you know, Palestine, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, there's a number of causes you could have taken up before. If this is your first time now interested or caring about the plight of refugees, you got to ask yourself why, right? Because it's a completely manufactured crisis that the United States instigated. Why are white bodies more important to you than brown and black bodies fleeing war? Why is that the turning point for you? I think that's an, a very important question that everybody who is paying attention to this needs to reckon with. I think what we're seeing is that time and again, regardless of what is happening in the world and in current events, we see this reinforcement of the idea that we live in a white supremacist world. It doesn't matter what's happening, whether it's the way that black people are treated in the United States, whether it's the way that dark skinned people are treated in Europe, whether it's the way that the world reacts to brown refugees coming out of the Middle East who are refugees because of invasions by the Western countries, whatever it may be, whether it's this sudden outpouring of, of care and, and empathy that we're seeing when refugees are white, it all confirms the same thing, which is that we live in a white supremacist world. And that's, that is operating all the time. And this goes exactly to the notion of Zionism, right? Because Zionism is upholding that white supremacy. These issues are all interlinked. Like we also saw in this last week, Israel calling on the invasion of Ukraine, a real opportunity for them to increase settlement yeah. in Israel, right? So, so they're, they're basically manipulating and profiting from the outbreak of this war 
by calling on Ukrainian Jews to come to Israel. And in doing so, they are going to be able to maintain and grow the Jewish demographic supremacy over Palestinians and further entrench their settler colonial project. And on that point, they have taken in a number of Ukrainian Jews already, but some of them don't fit the bill for Israel. So they're getting kicked out. Can you oh, imagine? I didn't know that. Yeah. Can you imagine you get to Palestine, you're a part of the occupation, and then the occupation is like, actually, you're not one of the Jews that we'd like head on back over to Odessa, my boy. I haven't read about the about this particular issue, about people being asked to go back, but I know that until now, 10,000 Ukrainian Jews have arrived in Israel. Israel's Ministry of Immigration and Absorption, what a weird name, has called on Jews of Ukraine to immigrate to Israel, quote unquote, your home, in a statement issued on February 26th. So far, at least 100 Ukrainian Jews have arrived on two flights, one from Kiev and one from Odessa, and in, in total, they're expecting around 10,000 to arrive in the coming weeks. It's insane that this is not getting more media coverage or, or, or that people are not talking about this more because the entire outcry about the invasion of Ukraine is that it is an occupation. It's an illegal occupation. It's an invasion of a sovereign nation by another nation. The people that are fleeing that conflict are now becoming pawns in the settlement of another people's country. Yeah, it's the new Givat Amal. It's the new Mizrahi, right? They're trying yeah. to create another layer of separation between them and Palestinians. And this is from the Times of Israel. Israel tries to send back 14 Ukrainians back to Europe, relents after pressure. Interior Minister Shaked reportedly takes a deposit from the group to make sure they leave Israel within three months. Refugees fleeing the conflict in Ukraine arrive at the Medica Medica border. Medica or Medica border crossing in Poland. On Monday, February 28th, 2022, the head of the United Nations Refugee Agency says more than half a million people have fled the Ukraine since Russia's invasion. Now, now it's up to a million. Israel tried to send 14 out of the 70 Ukrainians who arrived back to Europe, saying that they were not eligible to enter under the law of return, according to a Monday report. The 14, including a mother and her young daughter, were put on a flight to Romania but were ultimately allowed to stay after family members pressured the government, Channel 12 News reported. So they're like, hey, this is a safe haven for all Jews except for you. We have to keep in mind that Israel is framing their welcoming of Ukrainian refugees as some sort of like a humanitarian move. But we can never forget that Israel is preventing 6 million Palestinian refugees from returning to their homes in Palestine while they are welcoming Ukrainian Jewish refugees and basically, you know, screaming it from the mountaintops to anyone who will listen. Oh, look what we're doing. We're, you know, come to Israel. We'll welcome you. Yeah. But what about the, what about the refugees that you kicked out of their homes? I'm not trying 
to demonize refugees. I represent refugees. So much of my work goes to supporting refugees. I myself am a refugee, right? It's not about demonizing refugees. But at the end of the day, it's about this double standard. It's about this hypocrisy. And it's about manipulating the plight of refugees to further a nefarious cause, to further something which, again, what is it? The Harvard Law Clinic came out and said it's apartheid. You know, we had our we had our new report of the week saying it's apartheid. This is after the amnesty report. So that's the issue. Using refugees and their struggle to further settler colonial aims is the story of apartheid Israel. Israeli citizens of Ukrainian origin gathered to protest inside Palestine. Didn't seem to comprehend how ironic it is that they are settlers in another country, standing in that country, demanding an occupation stop in their home country while claiming that they are at home in Palestine. Yeah, yeah. And we saw those scenes and it's just laughable because all of this goes back to the notion that Palestinians are the ones that have to pay the price for the drama and basically anything that happens in Europe that is, that is terrible, right? This is like, this is what I think Professor Nora Erkat said one time on TV when she was referring to Palestinians paying the price for Europe's heinous affairs, And we are not involved in this. So why are we paying the price? Why is it our land that is being taken to house these Ukrainian refugees? Again, I have nothing wrong with refugees, but you should give us our land. You should not steal our land and then use it to make yourselves look good on the world stage. And the occupation was salivating at the idea of bringing these Ukrainian Jews over for months now. Even before there was an invasion, they were like, we're very excited at the opportunity to absorb potentially 200,000 was the number that they initially stated people into their settler colony. And just the remarkable response of like corporations has been so different, right? YouTube banned RT, like you're not you're not allowed to use Twitter in Russia. A number of websites have been banned. But in 2014, after the Israelis murdered over 2,000 people in Gaza, not only did Google not ban any IDF YouTube channels, it actually allowed a game called Bomb Gaza to be sold from Google Play. Other Gaza-inspired games were available. Gaza Assault, Code Red, and Iron Dome. You have liquor stores in in Canada and the U.S. that are removing Russian vodka from the shelves. You have the the fact that Russia was kicked out of Eurovision. It has been suspended from international soccer leagues. And Russian ballets are being canceled all over the world. You have the Metropolitan Opera saying, we're not going to support or, or, or contract with performers that support Putin. You have... All of these displays of solidarity, all of these displays of boycott, these repercussions, this holding Russia accountable. They've been sanctioned by SWIFT. Like literally overnight, people were like, sanction them in SWIFT. And most people were like, what the fuck is SWIFT anyways? You know what I mean? Like, right. But I had, I had people who literally are not involved in politics screaming on their Instagram story. You got to sanction Russia from SWIFT. 
And I'm just like, okay. By the way, for those who don't know, SWIFT is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. It's a secure financial messaging service used to execute international transactions among banks. So it is a very strong sanction that will inflict a tremendous amount of damage to the Russian economy, even, you know, if it's only temporary. And all of this is for things that we have seen Israel and other countries do without the same accountability. So I think it's important to ask ourselves, like, why is it that we're reacting in this way? And what are we getting out of it, the United States? Why is it so important for the U.S. to react in this way now? And why does the U.S. not apply the same standards to to its allies? Or itself. Or itself. Or itself. I mean, it's just so, I think the frustrating thing for me, especially as an international lawyer, is that I am seeing that very, just very simply, that the law matters if it's Russia, and the law just doesn't matter if it's Israel, you know? Hey, if you're white, it's right. That's what I'm getting from this whole situation. Zara, PayPal, and Samsung have suspended their business in Russia over the Ukraine invasion. You'll remember we spoke to Kahar Harhash, who was personally attacked by one of the main designers of Zara. Just wild anti-Palestinian bias. Terrible things that she said about the LGBTQ community. You know, even Jewish people. It It was insane, the things that she said. She is a member of that organization that has now decided that Russia has taken this a little bit too far. And they are going to take action. Nothing happened to her when she sent a diatribe to Kahar. I mean, truly, we could go on forever about the double standards that have been applied during this situation. And then you get people who are like, well, it's not the right time to talk about Palestine. When is the right time? We have been talking about Palestine forever, right? As long as I have been on the internet making videos, people have been talking about Palestine. And so it's like, if not now, when? And if we can't show these glaring double standards, what do you want us to do, right? Because because violent resistance makes you a terrorist in Palestine, makes you a hero in the Ukraine. Nonviolent resistance makes you criminalized in the United States. Nonviolent resistance in the Ukraine isn't even an option. Like nobody's even thinking about nonviolent resistance in the Ukraine. Nobody is asking the Ukraine people to be like, Hey, why don't you just organize a protest instead of filling Molotov cocktails in the city square? It's not, it's not come to anybody's mind at all. Right. Meanwhile, Palestinians live outside of the scope of international law and the West is delivering weapons and other destructive materials that are used by Israel on Palestinians and violate the Fourth Geneva Convention and the Convention on Genocide, which now are being brought up in the context of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. You have all these commentators saying, oh, you know, the Russia's violating the Fourth Geneva Convention. Russia's committing war crimes, genocide. None of this applies to Palestine and Palestinians in the public discourse. So, and I'm thinking to myself, like, yo, I'm, I'm glad that this is moving you all into action and compassion for refugees. If this upsets you, 
Let me tell you about something else real quick. You know, just just a little bit of Palestinian history, because this has been going on for decades now. You have now Naftali Bennett, okay, settler extraordinaire, born in California, the prime minister of the occupation, now moderating the yes. dispute. Yeah. Yeah, he's literally moderating the Russia-Ukraine dispute. I think he was actually in Russia today. Like, what experience? Like, he's on the ground. What experience does this guy have stopping aggression? Zero. <laughs> Israel's Bennett speaks with Putin. There was, initially, there were phone calls, but I think he's actually on the ground. Yeah. Also, if you find yourself simping over the person the United States is sending weapons and money to, you might be on the wrong side of history, right? That's not to say that we support Vladimir Putin's imperialist wars. We certainly don't. But we have to recognize that U.S. imperialism is never good. Right. Right. One does not, yeah, absolutely. Because this is the thing. It's like it's if the if it's the US, we're the good guys, right? So we can set up hundreds of military bases all across the world. But if it's Russia, somebody else, yeah, if it's Russia, then it's a problem. You know, if it's the US, we can invade countries, we can kill millions. It doesn't matter. We can do that. They're brown people. They're brown people. They don't care. They, you know, they don't matter. Yeah. But yeah. So this is. Yeah, he is on the ground, by the way. Uh, Naftali Bennett actually met with Putin. He secretly traveled to Moscow, met with Putin for three hours in what is being described as a highly unusual move because he did have phone calls with both the leaders of Russia and Ukraine uh, a few days earlier. Meanwhile, we should remember that Zelensky came out in favor of the occupation and they were bombing Gaza. Yes, Yep. Right. So now we have all of these people who are like, I stand with the Ukraine. Ukraine doesn't stand with you. <laughs> yeah. It's been really disheartening to see all of this, but of course not surprising, right? Nobody I think is surprised by the hypocrisy, by the double standards. Nobody, at least, I mean, you know, anybody who's doing this work. Went on national TV and he was like, can you believe this is happening to the white people? You know, in France, one of the commentators said, these refugees, they drive the same cars as us. They it's eat like a way to mayonnaise on their sandwiches. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Oh, also, I was reading earlier that the Pandora Papers revealed that Zelensky was storing payments from his top funder, who is the Israeli Igor Kolomoisky, in offshore accounts. So there is definitely a very serious connection between the leader of Ukraine and apartheid Israel. Also, this Kolomoisky character is a funder of the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion and the Adar Battalion. A lot of neo-Nazis in Ukraine, not a lot of people talking about it. Yeah, the United States and Israel have been funding Nazis. I don't like to use the word neo-Nazi because I don't add a Matrix character before Nazis. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. Nazis. That's not to say that there's any validity to Putin's claim that he's denazifying the Ukraine. The Russian government took in a number of Nazi scientists, Nazi intelligence agents, 
just like the United States, Operation Paperclip. They had their own mission where they just scooped up Nazis and incorporated them into their own society. So I don't for one second believe that Vladimir Putin is doing anything to get Nazis out of the way. That being said, the Nazis still exist today. They're fighting alongside grandmothers and regular people filling Molotov cocktails. And so it's like, if you're sending money, if you're a Jew, you're sending money to the Ukrainian fight right now, you don't know if those fucking guns getting handed out to Nazis or not. Can you imagine being the grandchild of a Holocaust survivor and then being emotionally manipulated into donating to Nazis? When you look at the way that the Western countries have facilitated the movement of the Ukrainian refugees, eliminating all of the paper, like administrative hurdles. Unless you are black, right? Unless you are a Nigerian student or an Indian man who's studying in the Ukraine, in which case you're sleeping at the train stations forever if you're not getting shot for trying to get on a train. Mm-hmm. You're still waiting for the train to, to, to get out of there. Yeah, we all saw those uh, images and videos on TikTok. But hey, you know, but stand with the Ukraine. Stand with the Ukraine. You know, it's like nobody is looking at this shit critically. People are being made to look a fool because they are so easily manipulated by media. Yeah. And, you know, you contrast the images of Ukrainians, you know, being able to just like freely like walk over the border, you know, get housing, get support, whatever it may be with the images of people coming from the South and the Middle East, drowning, being beaten, like, like literally if you, if you live in France, then you know about Calais and that is literally like the French police go in there and they burn down refugee tents. They burn them down. They don't even call them refugees. They call them migrants. What does that mean? They're refugees. They're asylum seekers. They qualify for refugee status under the law. And, and, and we call them migrants. Like what, what does that mean? Nobody called it. Have you heard of a Ukrainian being called a migrant? No. There's families that are being displaced. These people have rights. And because they just don't look like you, they're being treated so violently. In the United it's- States, the police still ride horseback and hit people with whips. There were Haitian migrants who were whipped by people on horseback. And everybody was like, isn't that slavery? Like, isn't that the same imagery as slavery? And they were like, no, no, it's different. It's different because they've got a badge and there's some laws. And, and it's like, wait, wasn't what weren't there laws involved in slit? And then meanwhile, all the people who are like, they they're coming, they're taking our jobs. You know what I mean? Those people are like, bring those hot Ukrainian girls over here. I'm trying to fuck oh, yeah. people who are emotionally unstable. It's it's yeah. truly wild. Also, my guy, like not all of the girls in the Ukraine are hot. You know, like you're going to get a couple uggos. <laughs> Speaking of which, I think I heard that. Were you the one who told me this? That Tinder was like being used by Ukrainian girls because like all the Russian soldiers showed up on Tinder in Ukraine. And so like then they started talking to Ukrainian girls and 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 giving them info that they were then passing like to people who had who were organizing the resistance also the International Committee of the Red Cross 
posted a really neat thread breaking down international law and the Geneva Conventions, because apparently they're all of a sudden getting thousands of questions about the Geneva Conventions, which is why they have tweeted this series of tweet. They basically actually list the rules of international law, the rules of war that you need to know that are applicable to all states across the world. Um, and they break it down really simply. We will link to that as well if you want to take a look. I was surprised that they said in their fine print, except for the United States and Israel, though. <laughs> Did they? No, they didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't. I have one more story real quick. It's actually from May 2021, but I thought it was interesting. An ex-Israeli pilot said, and I quote, our army is a terrorist organization run by war criminals. Hmm. A former Israeli Air Force pilot, Yonatan Shapira, has described the Israeli government and army as a terrorist organization run by war criminals. Captain Shapira who resigned from the Israeli army in 2003 at the height of the Second Intifada, explained in an exclusive interview why he realized after joining the army that he was, quote, part of a terrorist organization. I realized during the Second Intifada what the Israeli Air Force and Israeli military are doing are war crimes, terrorizing a population of millions of Palestinians. When I realized that, I decided not to just leave, but to organize other pilots that will publicly refuse to take part in these crimes. He continues, as a child in Israel, you are brought up in a very strong Zionist militaristic education. You don't know almost anything about Palestine. You don't know about the 1948 Nekba. You don't know about ongoing oppression. Since leaving the army, Shapira has launched a campaign that encouraged other military members to disobey orders to attack Palestinians. The campaign has led 27 other army pilots to be discharged from their posts in the Israeli Air Force since 2003. During the May 2021 assaults, Israeli warplanes waged hundreds of airstrikes against Palestinian civilians in the besieged Gaza Strip. Just some food for thought while we are watching the Russian army rain down bombs over the Ukraine in a way that evokes similar motion from people who care about Palestine. And when they use the imagery of Gaza being bombed as if it's in the Ukraine, right? It's like when it's Ahed Tamimi and they think she's Ukrainian, they love her, right? When they find out she's Palestinian, ah, well, that's kind of a political issue. When it's the bombs that are dropping on Gaza and we know it's Gaza, people are like, oh, well, that just, that's how it is. That's how it happens. It happens like that all the time. When they think it's the Ukraine, automatically they're screaming for sanctions. Automat now they know SWIFT on that same thing that we were just talking about where people grow up to like a brainwash type of system. I was referenced in, in a Middle East Eye article and one of my videos is referenced. The article is titled Young Jews Share Experience of Israel-Palestine Brainwashing on TikTok. My friends Lexi and Lara, who post as Tender Bender on TikTok, they are quoted in this article about how growing up being told that Palestine was invented and that we shouldn't use the word, you know, that 
you never really learn about the atrocities. And then, you know, you come through this awakening where you read books, you listen to firsthand accounts, you match up what you've been told with what actually happened. And you realize that you've been lied to, you've been misled, you've been manipulated, and you have an opportunity to change the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you move. So shouts out to my friends on TikTok who were also quoted and displayed in this article. You are referenced. Yeah. In another video, Los Angeles raised comedian and social media personality, Michael Scherzer. I love it. Social media personality. I love that. Outlines why he believes it's harmful to associate Jews with the state of Israel. Also love being called young. Very and cool. I love that it's being, I love that it's being presented as a movement. I mean, yes. it is a movement. It's, it's, it's weird because when you're in it, you don't realize what it is, but when you look back on it, it becomes part of history and you know, you're going to be part of those voices that called for radical change. It's certainly fair to say that I've dedicated my social media presence to undoing Zionism, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that is a fair characterization of my social yes. media. Yes. And I think it's great. And I think it's great that it's inspiring other young anti-Zionist Jews to, to do the same. I don't want to say that I'm the first because I'm certainly not, right? No, but it's not, it's not about that. It's not about being the first or whatever, but it's just about growing that audience and about being creative. And I think that's something that you definitely do. So it's just, yeah. of course it's an inspiration. I mean, I see it in the comments to your TikToks all yeah. the time. Yeah. Hey, and shout out to every anti-Zionist Jew who has the chutzpah to get on the internet and speak truth to power because you know, when I first started, there wasn't a ton of us. Let's keep it real. There were a handful who had already been very dedicated for many years, Max being one of them, you know, like yeah. Ariel from Code Pink. There were a few, but now it's becoming more commonplace for anti-Zionist Jews to speak their truth, to yeah. talk about the massive brainwashing campaigns that you know, literally infiltrate every single aspect of our lives and how we've come out of it, how we've changed. Yeah, definitely. Any last thoughts? Yeah, just if you're somebody who is thinking about occupation and thinking about justice and thinking about Judaism through the lens of Tikkun Olam, then use this time to reflect. Does it make sense to be standing outside of the Russian embassy in a settler colony demanding that they stop the occupation. Does that make sense? And if it doesn't, explore why. Think about all of the things that you've ever been told and assess them, analyze them, make sure that they hold up to the facts on the ground. Because if they don't, you still have time to change, right? Nobody's going to be mad at you for getting on the right team a little bit late. You might not get an award or anything, but we certainly won't be upset that you decided to take part in dismantling the occupation underneath your feet before you started protesting one abroad. Folks, that has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Please check out our website at www.palestinepod.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com and check us out on Patreon. <laughs> Patreon. 
at www.patreon.com slash Palestine pod. That's been another episode of the Palestine pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day. This is the Palestine pod. Palestine pod.